welcome in to episode number 114 of the Sports Kiki Podcast. My name is Alex Dreamer, and you can, of course, find the show wherever you can find your favorite OutSports podcasts. You can hear us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, download, subscribe. You know the drill. Uh, happy Saturday to all. Thank you for making us a part of your weekend week whenever you listen to this show. That's the beauty of podcasting, right? On demand. And uh, I have a really uh, incredible guest for you uh, this week, so I'm not going to waste too much time before I uh, introduce him and get into our conversation. Uh, Cooper Gunn uh, was the soccer captain at Colby Sawyer College in New Hampshire. Uh, He just finished his senior season this past fall. Uh, Cooper wrote his coming out story on OutSports in January of 2021, and since then uh, we've published a few more articles about him, including a really interesting piece last fall about how he was called a gay slur during a match, and, uh, well, his team responded with a 5 nothing victory, so I think that's a pretty strong statement indeed. And speaking of strong statements, uh, Coop is about to make one here on the show, and he published a corresponding article on OutSports as well that uh, is up live as of Saturday morning. The article is titled, I'm a Gay Athlete and Was the Victim of Sexual Assault. Uh, in it, Cooper shares his story. April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month, and he talks about his story of how he was sexually assaulted in college and how he's come to grips with that, how he's thought about that, and now why he's sharing his story. Uh, so it's a really meaningful conversation. Uh, Coop is just an incredible kid, and uh, well, we're lucky that he's uh, sharing his story with us. So that's coming up. On the other side here, it's the Sports Kiki Podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening. And welcome back to the Sports Kiki Podcast. As I mentioned in the opening, we have uh, a really brave and, and great individual on the phone right now with an inc- with a, a story that is really important to hear, especially in April, which is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. We welcome in uh, Cooper Gunn. He is the captain of the men's soccer team at Colby Sawyer College in New Hampshire. Well, was. He just finished his last season as captain this fall. Uh, Cooper, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing okay. Thank you very much for having me today. Yeah, and thank you for reaching out to us and sharing your story. Um, I mentioned that April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month, which is what prompted you to get in contact with us and write the story that's up now. I'm a gay athlete and was the victim of sexual assault. Uh, But for those listening right now, would you mind uh, saying what happened? Sure. So it... um occurred during uh, a time and, and and with someone very close to me it never it wasn't it it, it culminated in a, uh, an incident that happened at um around the end of the the time that i knew this person um but there were several instances up to that point that um though i didn't realize it at the time definitely amounted to various forms of sexual assault. I think I always thought that, you know, part of the reason that I didn't realize what it was at the time is I I had a very narrow view of what sexual assault meant. Um, I thought that it was just, you know, it had to be some sort of physical altercation that would result in the sex happening either, you know, as a means to get the sex or during you know, while the sex was, was happening. And I never 
it never occurred to me that there were other forms of it. And so when that, when those other forms happened to me, I didn't recognize them for what they were and it repeatedly. And then it, it really culminated in um, one night uh, when we were together, um, he suggested we try marijuana um, in the form of an edible, which I had um, never done before. And he, um, I think, deliberately withheld how strong the edible was. And he knew my history or lack thereof with with marijuana. And, and I think he tried to use that to really get me in the mood. And um, I don't remember much from that night. I know, I remember when after I'd eaten it, um, I was, I was, he told, he told me how strong it, it was. And it was very, very strong. And from there, I don't really remember too much. Um, I did, um, I, I know we had sex. Um, and so I, I believe that I was, was drugged and, and was sexually assaulted and that our, our time of knowing each other came to an end after that, but it, it took me over a year, around a year to really accept and acknowledge that that had happened to me. Yeah. I think partly because I didn't know what it was at the time. And also because I felt like, oh, well, I wasn't physically coerced into, or I wasn't physically forced into doing something, so therefore I can't be sexually assaulted because I didn't have a good definition of, of sexual assault. And there wasn't wasn't any one specific moment where it all started to come back, but it just it came back in, in bits and pieces to the point where I was finally able to to say it, which is still something that's hard to say. Um, but it, it was a it was a progression of things getting progressively worse and and pushing past boundaries that I tried to put up, but was not. Um, or I shouldn't say it that way. I was, they were boundaries that were broken down, and I um, thought it would be easier if I if I let them go down. Yeah, it really sounds more like mental coercion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'm curious too about, you mentioned it took about a year to realize this had happened to you, and so how'd you go from that period to now wanting to share your story on OutSports and Colby Sawyer and the audience here today? I've I've done, sharing my story has kind of been, it's kind of been my thing almost where I've, I have an ability to, I consider myself a, a good speaker and, and I have an ability and a desire to speak in front of, you know, large groups of people because I also have a desire to, to help people, which is part of why I got into education. Yes. Um, where I want to, you know, th- there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of power in, in sharing a story, your story, and, and I certainly find that in, in sharing my story because I I find my power in helping other people and you know, I, I've shared various parts of, of my life. Um my coming out story is published on, on Outsports. Um there was an article written about me last fall where I was called a homophobic slur during a game and and that was something that I wanted to to get out there. Um, 
and kind of sharing why that affected me so much. Um, right. I've also shared a lot in the past about um, being being cheated on um, on my social media. And I've found the feedback that I've gotten from people is that it helps them to know that they're not alone and in, in what they're and what they're feeling. And I think and, and know that the same principle applies to sexual assault, especially given that I, I think it's probably talked about less than cheating on. And then especially less in the gay community where it isn't talked about for a variety of reasons. And I think I, it's not, I don't view it as, as an obligation, but I have a story to share and I, I know that I have a voice to do that. And I think I definitely consider it my responsibility because I have that ability to share my story for other people who have similar stories, but aren't, you know, cause I, I don't expect everyone to get up and, and want to share their story to be able to, cause that's just, that's just, you know, people are different and that, but I have, I have that ability and I want to use it to, to help those people who may never have that ability or aren't quite, aren't quite there yet. So sharing my story has always been something I found to be quite healing and quite powerful. Yeah. And what has the reaction been of those around you now that you're sharing your story? Um, for the most part, it's, it's been, it's been really good. Um, it is definitely, it's a topic that's like, like I said, it's still difficult for me to, to talk about and to say out loud. Um, my friends, I've never been asked like direct questions about it. Um, and there is, you know, when I, when I, you know, when I was talking to my friends, I was hanging out with my friends the other day and, and, um, I was working on that article and, you know, they asked what I was doing and, and I told them, and there is that it's not, not, it's not awkward in a bad sense, but it's like, it's an uncomfortable topic, especially when I know for them, it's, you know, it's part anger and, and, and hurt for their friend who, who had to experience something like that. Um, but for the most part, it's been good. I have, unfortunately, um, over the past um, been made to feel badly about sharing my sharing my story um, by someone um, close to me who's no longer close to me um, where wow. it became you know this person was concerned about what his what his friends and family would think um for knowing about me being sexually assaulted or for me being cheated on and for me being so public with that information. Um, and so I, I stopped really kind of, you know, I, I didn't, I wanted to, I wanted to stop making videos about being cheated on because I was like, you know, I, I don't need to, I don't need to talk about that anymore, but um, it definitely felt as though I couldn't, I couldn't be as publicly emotional um, because it would make this person uncomfortable. And whether that was over social media or whether that was doing, you know, talks like I, I've done at, at Colby Sawyer and other, other organizations and other schools. Um, and so that, that's been, that was hard because, and, you know, I gave into that. I, I stopped um, doing a lot of that. 
And um, now that I'm back sharing my story, it's been challenging because I have to remind myself of that ability that I have to do that. And as, as a way to, you know, as a way to reclaim that ability and to reclaim some power has been very difficult because I let it, I let it go for the sake of someone else's comfortability. Yeah. And I think that's also an important thing to bring up. I think there is that assumption that, you know, it's 2022. If you're a survivor of sexual assault, you share your story. And when you do, all the people around you, friends and family are 100% supportive. But I mean, that's not always the case. Yeah, it it certainly surprised me. And, and I don't, I don't, I don't think it, I hope it wasn't. I don't think it was, I don't think the shame was brought on me for being cheated on or for being sexually assaulted. I think it was more about the sharing of it publicly. Right. But even, but even then there's still shame attached to that because at, at some point it's like, okay, you're concerned about what other people are going to think of me and by extension you for something that for all intents and purposes has nothing to do with you. Um, And even though we're connected, all that should really matter is what you know and what, what I know. Um, But it was, it it never felt like that was, it never felt like that was the case, even with something as basic as my just being emotional about something, whether that was, being sexually assaulted or not it felt like i didn't have the space to to do that which is really hard to admit even now because you know it's it just it, it's hard to admit that about someone that i i cared a lot about um yeah so yeah i can't imagine and that's a whole nother process i'm sure too you know letting yeah. go of those feelings Um, yeah. And, you know, I'm also wondering, you touched upon this in the story you have as well. Um, heading into college, was sexual assault something that you thought much about or or thought about in your Uh, day-to-day life? No, not, not at all. It it had never, I mean, when I, when I went to college, I, um, I was still in the closet, so I still considered myself straight. Um, and then especially with the you know, the idea that I had that was, um, you know, sexual assault only resulted after physical altercations or, or whatever. I, as a, um, as a big guy who's, you know, played sports and lifted weights his whole life. Like I never, I, I, I never really, never really occurred to me, um, that I could, um, that, that it could happen to me. Um, which I, I think is, is something that's super important to highlight because I I know that the big focus and and probably, you know, as it should be is that um, the physical altercation about the sexual assault piece, because we talk about (laughs) assault and when people think assault, it's it's a situation. Whereas the other forms of it, like manipulation, um, maybe don't get swept under the rug, but definitely aren't talked about as enough, but can be, um, you know, just as damaging and, and probably honestly harder to stop because like I, I say in the article, like it's, you know, 
I don't want to downplay, obviously, what people who are physically sexually assaulted go through. But, like, I always was like, if someone's physically trying to make me have sex with them, like, I'm going to recognize that that's what's going on. Um, mm-hmm. If I, you know, if I haven't been drugged or whatever. Um, whereas the mental piece of it, like I said, is, you know, that's that person playing on my feelings for them, trying to get sex, to guilt me into sex, basically using the, the feelings that they know that I have for them. Um, and that's not, I don't think that's talked about enough in no. in high school or in, or in college. Yeah, I mean, it's really not mentioned, I think, especially in regards to men, as you said. Um, and, you know, there is that stigma, you know, uh, like last year, there was that story, especially in the sports world of Kyle Beach, who was that former player, the Chicago Blackhawks. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but uh, he says that the video manager, uh, video coach of the team sexually assaulted him in 2011. And then when his teammates oh, yeah. found out about it, yeah, they made fun of him, called him yeah. gay. So yeah. I think in male sports, especially, which you've spent your whole life around, there is even more of that stigma. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've found that um, I, I, I fortunately haven't at least directed towards me that, that I've heard. I, I haven't heard of any of that from my teammates. I think, I think my teammates, and I know my teammates are, are very on board with me and are, are yeah. incredibly supportive of me and, and all parts of, of me. Um, but I, you know, I have, I have seen secondhand, um, the other cultures that exist on, on other sports teams when it comes to stuff like that. And especially, you know, the, the story is, is a good example of, of when that culture isn't where it's supposed to be. And when those teammates aren't supportive and not, and not who they're supposed to be, which brings the conversation beyond high school and beyond college to life in general, where it's not talked about enough, especially when it happens to, a man, whether it's a, a woman or a man or uh, a non-binary person um, doing it to to a man. So, Yeah, I mean, and your teammates, though, I mean, they do sound really great and supportive. I remember that story you wrote about being called the gay slur and they rode around you and you guys won, what, 5 nothing. Yeah, we did, yeah. Um, and that was, that was the moment where, you know, I'd had a conversation with them uh, – January of the year of, of that year, so about nine months prior to that game, uh, where I called them out for for a lot of their homophobic behavior, and and I said, you know, I I I will know that this talk has succeeded and that I have succeeded in educating and changing you guys when something happens and you you guys don't need me to tell you that it's offensive. You guys just know, and they they knew they got it right away, and it happened right before the right before halftime and it was zero zero and we came back out and, and scored five goals and, and embarrassed them. Um, and I said to my teammates at the end, I said, this is, this is the best response in this, and this shows me that you guys get it. So De- definitely. Yeah. yeah. I imagine hard to have a better answer than that. Five, nothing niche in soccer. That's yeah. like what, yeah. that's like what? 37, nothing football score. 43, nothing. Oh, oh I, I don't know. I've never been good at math. Um, I also wanted to ask you about this kind of like a broader point you write about in your essay that, um, you think it's like the hypersexual gay culture kind of feeds this environment where men and you said young men in particular, you think, uh, feel more comfortable 
making these unwanted advances. I'm wondering uh, how you think those two things tie into each other. It's been a it's been a subject that I've been I've been considering talking about on my own social media, which you know, there's a reason why I've been considering it and I haven't just been doing it. I think a lot of times what happens in the in the gay community is we view hypersexual hypersexualizing everything as a way of like expressing ourselves as a way to like make up for lost time in the closet, which I, you know, as someone who spent a long time in the closet, like I get the sense and the desire to make up for lost time I'm right there with you and i yeah and or to say something on my on my social media because i have um you know not a small following i would get some negative feedback back saying that i'm criticizing the community for trying to you know, trying to, to control them or to say that their behavior is bad. Like I'm trying to shame them in, the, in their sexuality just as, as they did themselves where they were in the closet or, or while straight society does. Um, but I do think it's, I do think it's damaging. I think it's incredibly damaging to be hypersexual. And, and what I mean by that is probably best shown by what feels to me like an obsession in the community to label yourself based on your position or body type as it relates to, as it relates to sex. Yeah. Um, especially with the position, um, like I'll see these, even, you know, I get like, if there are these individual people who, you know, like they have these entire social media accounts, like dedicated to jokes around like their position in bed, which just personally kind of make me, a little uncomfortable but like you know it's it's jokes it's it's whatever if, if that's what people enjoy that's what they enjoy but then what really i don't love is, is when i see these couples who it appears like they've made being a top or being a bottom or being versed like their personality trait and they make videos where they refer to their partner as their top or their bottom and you know i can only speak for for my for myself um, but what that would send to me, if, if, if I have a partner who's calling me their top or their bottom in, in anything more than a joking sense, and maybe even then it would make me uncomfortable because at that point it just whittles down someone's identity to their position in bed, which again, you know, people will say, oh, it's just a joke. It's just a joke. It's just a joke. I firmly believe that that, that it goes deeper than a joke and that it encourages this, this idea that you know, people in the community feel entitled to know what your position is. Like when I do a, when I do a TikTok live, especially, I will quite often get asked, you know, what, what is your position? And then when I don't want to answer, um, cause you know, I'll be, I'll be nice about it. I guess I'll say, Oh, I prefer not to answer that question. Um, sometimes the reaction I get is, you know, they're, they're upset with me for not sharing as if they feel entitled to know my position in bed, which is really only my business and, and no one else's. And I direct connection between that question and this culture that's being created. And I think it's definitely exacerbated by apps like, like Grindr, especially um, with young gay men um, who should not be using those apps, but are still allowed to and still, and still able to where they base their identity off of their position in bed. And they only feel value based on their position in bed. And you know, for some people, I'm sure they'll think that I'm, I'm reaching here with this connection. But as someone who's lived it and continues to live it, 
I see the connection between what appears to be a simple question like that to leading to something like sexual assault where you feel entitled to have access to someone's body or to know things about someone in a sexual way, especially if you're in a relationship. And I think when you're in a relationship and you're referring to each other all the time as, you know, oh, that's my top or they're my bottom. And then they're reinforcing these kind of roles that supposedly tops have. And then these roles that bottoms supposedly have, which, you know, I find to be kind of an unfortunate similarity to heterosexual gender norms. Oh, definitely. Um, Yeah. And so it just, it just feels like to me that we create an atmosphere where sex is at the center of our identity. And again, to go back to my original point, like I know for some people it's about reclaiming that and the hypersexuality is a way to make up for lost time. Um, I, and this is what I try and do is rather than being hypersexual, I try and make up for lost time in the relationships that I have. Like I try to be a very, loving person and i know i know that i i know that i am i try to be a very caring person because that's how i want to make up for lost time by building a deeper connection with someone rather than building a superficial connection with many people simply based off of my position in bed it's a it's a topic that like like i said i haven't spoken about at length before um but i feel very strongly about it because i do think it does a lot of damn community especially among young gay men who are, are taught that their value only comes from, you know, their, their position in bed. Oh, Cooper, you sound like a delight, truly. Um, <laughs> no, seriously. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a couple things going on, right? Like, I think that the gay culture has always been hypersexual for a lot of reasons you mentioned. And, you know, I think it is hard to sexualize and socialize with the same people, right? Like straight men don't have that problem. You know, it's so I think there's always been that component to it as well. But then as you mentioned, kids your age, you know, I think it's ratcheted up a whole nother level because now you have, you know, all these alt Twitters and grinder and like, as you mentioned, like these accounts are very kinky and they're like very yep, yep. in your face. And like, then you grew up with that being very normalized, you know? And yep. so I think it's like always been there and now it's just ratcheted up to insane levels because like literally you can find any kind of sex you want, like in the palm of yep. your hand. Well, I think when, you know, the way that, that, that I've told people about, I've done a lot of of these kind of talks where I talk to people about, you know, larger groups or even just individuals about, you know, all things kind of of being gay or being gay athlete, whatever it is. And, and when I describe, you know, kind of the coming out process to people, I look at it in, in three ways where you have these kind of three parts of you, you have this physical part of you, you have the emotional part of you and you have the mental part of you. And when people are coming out, they are desperate to feel and you know rightfully so they are desperate to feel validated in who they are and in their sexuality and the especially in this day and age with things like grinder the easiest way of the three to feel that validation is through physical validation because it takes a long time or at least it takes a longer time to build an emotional connection with someone to build a mental 
connection with someone, but with physical connection, it's super easy because you can download Grinder and you can message someone right away. And if the timing is right, they could be at your place within minutes. And when you have young kids on apps like that, they're going to go for the path. You know, this is, you know, to go back to a teaching concept, like kids go for the path of least resistance. And you can apply that same concept to kids coming out of the closet. They will go to the path of least resistance to get that validation. And when that validation comes from intimacy, they will continue to go back to that source because it's that instant gratification for them. Because that's, that's the easiest way um, to get that validation for them while they're coming out of the closet. And then you end up with kids who don't really develop the ability to form an emotional or mental connection or if they do it takes a really long time and it takes a ton of work which some people it takes a while for them to even be willing to put in the work and for other people that work never it never comes because they so closely tied during their formative years their validation not only from something physical but also coming from someone else where they feel like they have to have the validation of another person in order to feel validated in themselves and I feel very lucky i also do want to give myself i don't know if, if credit is the right word but i've i've never participated in in hookup culture it just it's never appealed to me and it's always been something that's very like personal and i always wanted to share it with someone that i had an emotional connection to and i think i see the benefits of that now for me because i, I don't need validation from someone in order to know who i am or know that i'm that i'm right basically but I know other kids who haven't been as fortunate as me and they really struggle to form anything other than a physical connection with someone. And then that connection is gone. And each time that process happens of deep physical, intimate connection, and then it's torn away like it meant nothing, that process is really damaging. Yeah. And I can tell you from experience, the physical part of it is easy. That's the easiest thing, you know, the, the emotional, the yeah. mental part like that comes much later. And as someone who's lived both lives, I can tell you that it's much more rewarding to be more the uh, the other two. Um, yeah. So uh, I want to close with this, uh, Coop. You obviously, uh, you know, are very outspoken captain of the team, teacher. Um, what kind of work do you want to do going forward with sharing your story and uh, raising more awareness to sexual assault uh, in the gay community? I I think for the short term, it will continue on my on my TikTok because I do think I still have room to room to go when it comes to that. I don't, I don't know where this will lead, which I, I think is kind of the exciting piece of it is that I think this could go anywhere. I, I'm, I'm always looking to, you know, speak at, at places or at, at schools or, or whatever it is. And, and I have a few on the horizon, but I, I really, I think it's, because I've heard other people share their stories and I've always found it to be very powerful when people share their stories. And, and that's the feedback that I've got um, when people hear my stories, that it's powerful to hear my story. And I think when sometimes, and in a few years ago when it, when it was more so, um, you know, straight people kind of leading the, maybe not leading, but leading in, in Congress with gay people, this kind of the, the gay rights movement, um, it, the message was harder to get across because for a straight person to talk about, well, we definitely need straight people to talk about gay issues. It's not personal for them in the same way that it's personal for a gay person because a straight person obviously can have a, a, a gay 
relative or whatever, and they can feel it that way, which is valid and important. But I think for me, as a gay person who's able to share their story, I think it's now time for gay people to share their stories themselves because it is so powerful. And so any sort of, and especially pairing that with my education background, I think any opportunity that I have coming up to share my story and to share it in an educational way. Cause that's what it, like, that's what I do is, is education. Even if it is because a slur was said to me, or if it's because I'm just talking about something, there's always a way to make it educational. And so whatever form the work that I do takes, I know that it will be based in education and it'll be based in sharing my story because I've been in the closet for too long and I've been hurt too much to stop sharing my story. And how can the people find you on TikTok and social media? My All of my relevant um, accounts are cmaxg, at cmaxg, which is C-M-A-X-X-G. Um, I, I believe those links will be posted um, to, to the article. Yes. My email is cmgwlg at gmail.com, which I do check regularly, um, and I will do my best to get, get back to people about any questions they may have, and I'm, I'm more than more than happy to, to answer questions um, that people might have. I can confirm. Very prompt with the email. I could learn a thing or two from you. Uh, <laughs> Cooper Gunn, thanks for coming on the show, man. Thank you very much for having me. I really enjoyed this. So thank you all for tuning in to episode number 114 of the show. Uh, Cooper Gunn was our first guest in a few weeks, but I think was certainly worthwhile, don't you? And uh, as I mentioned, check out his article. It is up now on Outsports.com. I am I am a gay athlete and was the victim of sexual assault. And as we mentioned at the very tail end of our conversation, all of Cooper's contact info, his social media accounts, uh, they're available in that article as well. So thank you for listening. I know a bit of a different pace this week, a bit more heavy and serious than we've been as of late, but uh, you know, these stories are very important to tell and they are one of the big reasons why our website exists for these stories to be out there uh, amongst our community and start these conversations. So thanks again to Cooper for coming on the show and we'll talk to you next Saturday.